2 Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led Israel out and in. Yahweh said to you, You will be shepherd of my people Israel, and you will be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before Yahweh, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. The king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, The blind and the lame will keep you out here, <laughs> thinking David can't come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. This is David's city. David said on that day, Whoever strikes the Jebusites, let him go up to the watercourse and strike those lame and blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame can't come into the house. David lived in the stronghold and called it David's city. David built around from Milo and inward. David grew greater and greater, for Yahweh the God of armies was with him. Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David with cedar trees, carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. David perceived that Yahweh had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. David took more concubines and wives for himself out of Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. These are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shammua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David, but David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Yahweh, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? Yahweh said to David, Go up, for I will certainly deliver the Philistines into your hand. David came to Baal Perazim, and David struck them there. Then he said, Yahweh has broken my enemies before me like the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. They left their images there, and David and his men took them away. The Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. When David inquired of Yahweh, he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and attack them in front of the mulberry trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the top of the mulberry trees, then stir yourself up. For Yahweh has gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. David did so, as Yahweh commanded him, and struck the Philistines all the way from Geba to Giza. So David becomes the king at the age of 30. And David is a picture of Jesus. And what age did Jesus start his ministry? <laughs> About the age of 30. <laughs> Luke tells us that. And... Um, now, if you think back to David killing Goliath, uh, he was a youth at that point. He wasn't old enough to be in the army. 
So Army age was 20, so David was younger than 20. It's been at least 11 years since David killed Goliath, but more likely 12 to 15. I'm hedging my bets at around about 12 years. I'm, I'm thinking David was about 18 when he killed Goliath, and it's been about 12 years, and which time? For a few years he served Saul, and then for the rest of it he was on the run. And the last two years, since the age of 28, he's been the king in Hebron. So he's just become king of all Israel at the age of 30, but he's already been the king of one tribe, Hebron, for two years. So he became the king of Judah at the age of 28. And uh, it says it in, um, not in this chapter, but it said in another chapter that, that he ruled in Hebron for seven and a half years, and he ruled 40 years all up. So that means he was, he was king in Hebron over all Israel for another five and a half years before he eventually moved to Jerusalem, which we'll, we'll get that uh, in another chapter. So in this chapter, it talks about how he conquers Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, the geography of Israel is so interesting. There's, there's mountains everywhere, and Jerusalem is built on a top of a whole heap of mountains, and it's well fortified. It, it must have been so well fortified because the people in Jerusalem, the Jebusites, they said, <laughs> the lame and the blind will keep you out. So they were obviously pretty confident in their ability. But David thought to himself, the water is getting into the city somehow. He thought, we can get in through the water course, which meant somehow swimming under, underground somehow. I don't completely know how it worked, but they found it. Joab, um, there's more details in the Chronicles account of this, but Joab and his men found it, they went underground through the watercourse and they came up in the city and they took the city. A bit like the Trojan horse story, except there was no Trojan horse. The watercourse was the Trojan horse. And um, today, it was in the 1800s that a British army officer called Samuel Warren, he discovered this shaft that goes down on the Gihon Spring and it's now called Warren's Shaft and pretty much everyone is convinced that that's the shaft that they use. So there were these up and down shafts, like, I guess, tunnels that had been carved out by water, but the water didn't run through them all the time. And um, this shaft came down on the Gihon Spring and it was all underground. I've looked at a lot of maps on Google Images. There's a lot of people who've tried to draw this three-dimensionally. I tried to get my head around it, and it, it, the maps really don't, clearly explain it, to be honest. You can go and Google, you know, Warren's shaft and try to get your head around it. But I, in the end, I think we're just gonna have to go to Jerusalem and have a look for ourselves. There were so many fascinating things to see in Jerusalem, King Hezekiah's tunnel, Warren's shaft, the Gihon Spring, it, it's all fascinating. I think we're just gonna have to go and take a look for ourselves. But anyway, David and his men go underground through the spring, they come up inside the city and they take the city so much for the lame and the blind, and uh, they get in. In Jerusalem, David has a bucket load more kids. Now he ends up having 22 wives plus concubines, which is way too many. But the result of it is he, is he has a heap of children. Now I think from memory, he has, um, trying to remember, but I think he has something like more than 30 children from more than 22 wives. So I think it's, some wives had, had more than one, but some of the money had one. And I guess if, I'm just assuming here, but I guess if you've got that many wives and concubines, 
and you're also a very busy guy running uh, an entire kingdom and fighting wars and you're away a lot, you're not going to be regularly spending time with each of your wives. And so I think that's why some of them will have had one son or one child and that's it. Some of them probably had daughters and no sons and we don't hear about them. But here there's a list of all these children and there were two that are worth mentioning. One was Solomon, of course, whose mother was Bathsheba. We'll find out all about that when we get later on in the book of 2 Samuel. But another one of the sons that's mentioned is Nathan. And if you're in the New Testament and you go to Matthew's gospel, there's a genealogy of Jesus Christ and it goes back from you know Joseph, Jesus, his father Joseph, his father, I think it's Matan, and it goes back, 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 and it goes all the way back to Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, and then David. But in Luke's gospel, there's another genealogy and it goes back through Mary. So Mary, her father, her father, all the way back, and it goes back to another one of David's sons, Nathan, who was just mentioned here. And Nathan's mother was also Bathsheba. So that's all very, very interesting. Even though the Bathsheba story, which we're gonna to get to in chapter 11, was a nasty story and clearly something that the Lord didn't intend, the Lord used it incredibly, and we'll talk more about that later, because she has two sons for David. She actually has three sons. The first one dies. She has two more sons, and both of them are the genealogies of both Mary and Joseph that lead to Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? And so, um, now, interestingly, this is something I never realized until uh, I was preparing all of this. David has been the king in Judah for two whole years, and in all this time, he has never been attacked by the Philistines. But as soon as he becomes the king of all Israel, the Philistines want to attack him. Now, why would that be? You'll remember back at the end of 1 Samuel, David was friends with the Philistines. Remember, I explained that he was a double agent. He was pretending to be on their side, but he was using it as a, as a way of being safe from Saul. So when David becomes the king of Judah, this one tribe, technically, he's still an ally of the Philistines, and they just leave him alone, and he's there, and they're friends. <laughs> And of course, he's fighting Israel. You know, in theory, there's a civil war going on, a cold war, which we talked about that. But the Philistines are fighting Israel too. So technically, they both have an enemy in common. But now, David becomes the king over all Israel. And what's the next thing that happens? Philistines attack. <laughs> so his cover is blown. Now he's their enemy, and they want to get it sorted out. And as soon as they start attacking David, you know what David's got the advantage of? He's got the advantage of knowing some inside information. He's been the friend of the Philistines for all these years, and he's now not, he, he knew the king, he knew the way they used to form up their armies, he knew their methods, he had discussions with them about war, he has inside information, but more than that, the Lord's also with him. And so we have several stories now in the end of this chapter where he defeats the Philistines twice. The whole of Saul's life, when he was the king, he was constantly at war with the Philistines and losing territory, so much so that the Philistines had gone up into the north of Israel and conquered all this land, even in the Jezreel Valley. But now David begins a process of defeating the Philistines over and over and over, and he retakes the land. So now he begins to, to solidify Israel, and in the chapters ahead, he's going to conquer way much more land than what the Israelites originally had with Joshua. So there's a kind of a picture in this. 
that when we walk with Christ, we are given inheritance. We're given, the Lord rewards us. He gives us promises. We, we take ground from the enemy. When we turn our back on the Lord like Saul did, we lose ground. The enemy starts creeping in. Things get taken back. We might not even recognize that's what's happening, but that's what's happening. But when we turn back to the Lord, we're able to recover our joy. When we forgive, we're able to recover our freedom. We're able to overcome shame. We're able to start inheriting the promises again. We start to grow and increase. So there you go. Now, sometimes, I just want to finish with this thought. Um, sometimes we, what I just said we know is true. We know that when we walk with the Lord, he increases us. And that's true in general. But sometimes we look around, us, our, uh, look around us and we see people who've got things going just so well for them, but they're not walking with the Lord. And it doesn't seem to match the pattern. The pattern is, of course, when you walk with the Lord, he blesses you and things improve. When you turn your back on the Lord, things get worse. But every now and then you meet someone who doesn't seem to have any regard for the Lord, their life's just fine. <laughs> Have you ever wondered about that? Because there's occasionally this type of thing happens. Well, the Lord in his wisdom knows when to allow that type of thing to happen. And this isn't really the subject for today, but I just wanted to mention it because it's an, it's an, you know, an exception to the rule. But there's a whole psalm about this, Psalm 73. And the psalm basically says, don't be jealous of the wicked, who seem to get away with everything. And then the psalm goes on to talk about a moment when the psalmist recognized what was going to happen to those people in eternity. Go and read that psalm. It's an interesting one. It says, and then I came into the sanctuary and I understood their fate. <laughs> so I guess the point is that the Lord does bless us when we walk with him. Occasionally there are exceptions to that. Sometimes the blessings wait till eternity. But sometimes there are other people who seem to be blessed now. Well, when they get to eternity, they may find that they had wished they had lived a different life. So anyway, in this chapter, we see that finally a godly king has established over all Israel. Finally, the Lord has got his man on the throne. Finally, there's a person with a heart after God and the Lord is able to start blessing. And we want to be people with a heart after the Lord and we will find that the Lord will bless so thank you, Lord, for, for this chapter. Thank you that you put David on the throne at the age of 30, a picture of Christ who came to destroy all his enemies and to reestablish the inheritance of your people. I thank you, Lord, because of Christ we have an inheritance. So we just, today, we take a moment right now by faith. We want to receive this inheritance that comes from Christ. Thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for your promises. We receive them now. In Jesus' name, amen.